My guest, Erin Daniel Annis, and I remember well our first year of teaching. It took some time for us to calibrate our teaching both for ourselves and also for our students. Today on Teaching in Higher Ed, Calibrating Your Teaching. Produced by Innovate Learning, Maximizing Human Potential. Welcome to this episode of Teaching in Higher Ed. This is the space where we explore the art and science of being more effective at facilitating learning. We also share ways to increase our personal productivity approaches so we can have more peace in our lives and be even more present for our students. I'm joined today by Erin Daniel Annis for episode 45 of Teaching in Higher Ed. And he was on episode 43, but for anyone who didn't listen, I want to just do a quick overview of his background. He is an assistant professor of cinema arts, and he's also the faculty director of the Vanguard Sundance program. Welcome, Erin Daniel. Thank you for having me. Well, Erin Daniel, I know today on the show, we, this is, this is, this episode's probably going to feel the most like any if someone was just standing in the hallway listening to us talk right because i've been at this now for 10 years and you have a little bit fewer years than me but we both remember that first year teaching so i wanted us each to kind of share what we remember about our first year of teaching and what some of the surprises were i think it'll probably resonate with some of the people listening so i know for myself I was pretty shocked coming in because I had been doing a lot of corporate training or consulting with organizations, helping them with leadership development and coming into a college classroom. I was just really surprised at some of the barriers that are still up. I kind of joke sometimes and maybe it's callous of me, but the too cool for school stuff. And especially when I teach a lot of our freshmen that are traditional freshmen coming in as an 18 year old, they really haven't quite learned yet what a relationship with a professor could be. And I think that's one of the things we do best at our university is really those relationships. And that's something that's distinct about our school from what we hear from our alumni and from our students. So I know for myself, it, 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 I didn't think it was going to be, I had to learn, I guess, new ways of building relationships because in the business world, it was sort of taken for granted that when we work together to develop your skills, The trust was almost there from the start, at least on the surface level, it was there from the start. And here the trust is sometimes not there from the start, at least the trust that it would take to really allow yourselves to be vulnerable as a student and to be challenged in those ways. And we we came up with this word to kind of recalibrate ourselves. And I had a lot of that recalibration the first year. And then another thing was that I think looking back, and I'm sure still today I struggle with it, but I would take things too personally if I caught someone cheating or if somebody was rude to me, what I would consider to be rude to me, I, I ascribed a lot of that to a personal level. Mm. And, and especially that I, and one of the things we talk about is assuming the intent on the other person's party. If it happened, I would assume they were meaning to be rude. Or if they cheated, I would assume they were meaning to cheat specifically on me, like as if this was an affront to our relationship as opposed to either a poor ethical choice or even sometimes just not being very educated about it. 
And actually, the um, a, a man who's worked for many years at Vanguard, who is, I know you have a really good mentoring relationship with, Tom Carmody. I do. He was one of the ones who told me, and his opinion was that you had to kind of teach for four years to earn some street creds, and and then you start to <laughs> you start to build a reputation for yourself at the university. Right. And one of the things that was really helpful for me about having that longer term perspective was I didn't have to get this all straight my first year. I could make some mistakes along the way. And I don't know, it helped take some of the pressure off for myself. So those are some of the things I remember about my first year of teaching. So how about you? You know, there's two different perspectives that I think of when you ask me this question. One is maybe from the student side and one is from my side about my first year in full-time teaching. I came from uh, I came from the industry like you. You came from corporate. I came straight from the industry. I had taught grad school uh, while I was working full time in the industry, which was a completely different beast mm. than the undergrad. And so when I came for my first year of undergrad teaching, I think I I had no idea. I thought I knew what to expect, but really I had no idea what to expect. And I thought I had to get myself ready for it. So before this this is this is where I this is my side of where I needed to be calibrated. I came in thinking, well, I better be extra, extra tough so that I don't get walked all over, you know, when I come into this new school where I'm a full-time faculty member. So I feel that in my first year, I over-calibrated. After my first class, half the students dropped before my second class mm. just because I put so much fear into their hearts on how that semester was going to be and and i was simply trying to to i don't know what i was trying to do i think i was trying to to get them prepared to work hard and it was it was the wrong way completely and and i'm i'm so thankful that i did that because i learned uh i learned that limit and then the the following year so calibration for me took three semesters at least the following semester of that year i think that maybe i went too far the other way trying to fix it. So then I'm going down and I'm under calibrating and I was too easy and people felt, students felt, well, I don't have to do anything. And then finally I found that center ground. And a lot of it has to do with the same thing you're talking about. It's hard to learn, but it makes a huge difference when you learn not to take things personally. And when you learn that you're not giving somebody a grade, they're earning a grade. And those two things mm -hmm. made a huge difference for me. And it was my wife, really, that helped me with this. I, I was really discouraged because someone was going to fail a class. And, and I, I just didn't know how to take it. I was, I was, I was mad because they weren't doing their work. They were, they were not turning in their work. And I was, I was angry at them. And my wife, when I got home, I was telling her about it. She said, you know what? I went to school. And sometimes there were things that were more important to me than somebody's class. And it wasn't because of that person. And it wasn't because I didn't like that person. I love that person. I love that class. But when I was, had to prioritize everything that was going on in my life, I had to choose one thing to let drop for that week. And that was the thing I'd let drop. It was not personal. I was paying to go to school and I had to prioritize as an adult because a college student is an adult. I had to prioritize what I was going to let drop. So I had no ill will toward anyone, and I doubt that student has ill will toward you. That student is prioritizing, and maybe they're doing it. Maybe they're doing it wrong. Maybe they have bad priorities, but they're their priorities, and you can't take that personally. And then Tom Carmody, or I believe it was Tom Carmody, that said, "You're never giving somebody an F. They're they're not earning an A, mm -hmm. and you have to remember 
that difference. You don't give people a grade, people earn their grade. Do you find sometimes that you have to help students phrase it in that way too, that they might ascribe the grade to something you're giving them and then you, you kind of help them see a different phrasing for it? <laughs> I do. I don't even I don't even pretend to correct them. I just say the phrase. If mm-hmm. they say, are you going to give me an F on this? I said, well, you may earn an F on this. Yeah. You it's know? funny because we have young kids at home. And so for our toddler, I think that's what they tell us to do for teaching good grammar skills is not to tell them that they said the grammar wrong, but just to repeat it back to them with the correct grammar. Right. So right. <laughs> that makes perfect sense to me. It's, yeah. it's so interesting that, that there's also the the caliber of, I'm, I'm going to say rigor. I feel that the rigor of the class when I first came to the school that where, where I, t- I taught my first year at Vanguard, and when I came, uh, they were in dire need of a new faculty member. One of the faculty members in the department was on sabbatical, and then there was a position that needed to be filled for another faculty member. So there was only um, in the specific emphasis or, or major that, that I was teaching in the emphasis, there was only one full-time faculty member and there were loads of adjuncts. Mm-hmm. And what had happened before I came is the there was no cons- consistency or even a, um, there was no... There was there was no way that students had expectations that went across the board in what we were doing, and because there was there were no expectations across the board because all these adjuncts were coming in, students had really slacked off. Some students thought that they were the king of the school and they could do everything wonderful, and some students had no confidence at all because they happened to have an adjunct that did not notice they were in their class. And so when I came, I thought, well, how are we going to how are we going to have this? this be something that that's challenging and that lets them earn the right to say, I got this, because that's really what makes you, what gives you the confidence you need to go in the world is being able to say, Oh, I got this. I got this. And, and in making it more challenging, which, which thankfully our institution, they, they brought me in. And and that was one of the things they told me when they brought me in, we want to make this how challenging it needs to be. We understand that this needs to change and that's why we're doing this. So they were taking action to do what they needed to do. And, and I was charged with helping um, with a team redevelop the curriculum to add that rigor. But, it's one of those things where I think the leadership was there to understand the emphasis for you could not be on your course evaluations. The emphasis for you and the expectations, number one priority is we need to raise the expectations and raise the outcomes right. for what our students are expected to do so that when they graduate and they go out there to work in the field, that's when they'll know the value. They may not know the value sitting with you in your class, your first or second semester, or even today, maybe necessarily, but to see that value when they get out there. And that takes some time to build a sustainable program that will have students achieving those outcomes and going out into the workplace and then can come back and Skype into your class and say it works. And it's hard sometimes, I think, for us as faculty members to, to go into the class and not be able to have that instant gratification of, oh, you've changed my world today for the good. But we do have to remember, and and the industry I come from, the television industry, it, it it's like that. You know, we don't have a lot of time for praise because there's a whole lot of deadlines. And usually people tell me the things that are bad that are happening instead of the things that are good that are happening uh, because we don't have time to talk about the good. We have to meet the deadline. And so I was a bit prepared for the fact that there was going to be some negativity um, more so than positivity. But I think that that preparation just all flew out the window because I thought, oh, this is school. This is college. This is university. Everybody loves everybody. And it's going to be this great, warm experience of a family. And they're all led by their wonderful professor, right? Which was the complete opposite of the real world, which is 
you know, you have to, you have to earn the respect and you have to respect them. And you also have to challenge them even when they don't want to be challenged. A couple of years ago, I wrote a blog post I called the dip. And I looked at how there's a leadership theorists that talk about how teams form and the five stages are forming, storming, norming, performing, and adjoining. Sorry, I have to say that <laughs> so it rhymes. But that the so if you've been on a team, you've you'd recognize we come together, we're forming, we're kind of figuring out who does what and what our different roles are, and the storming is inevitably going to come. Right. And just knowing that about a team, it's like knowing that Elizabeth Kubler Ross has the stages of grief. Mm-hmm. And when you're going through that deep grief, to know even I mean, it doesn't make it tremendously easier, but at least you go, oh, this depression that I'm feeling, this is a normal response to what I've gone through. And for me, with the classroom, I've started to find that there are some similar patterns where there's going to be a time in the semester where it's a dip and it has nothing to do with you. It doesn't mean you're not a good teacher. It doesn't mean you're not doing a good job with class prep. It means that it's that time of the semester where right. everyone's exhausted, sleep deprived, these other things. And and just to recognize, and I, in fact, I talked to one of the professors at our institution who I think has been teaching 30 some years. And he said, yep, every semester you'll see that pattern. And a guy from the UK posted on my on the comment section of the dip and said he had actually wrote a longer post about this where he had looked at some of the same things. So I'm going to post wow. to both of these oh, things in the show notes. But I think that's another thing is just kind of recognizing that as good as we do, some of the stuff is going to be such an external factor and not it's going true. to have to do with us necessarily. But that doesn't mean we completely ignore it. I had a, <laughs> this is, I, I feel like we're in a dip right now in our semester. Do you feel like that? I mean, just people are I, ready to be done. I feel you completely. <laughs> I'm with you. So a guy comes in and in fact, he is a double major. He's a business major and he's a theater major too. And and he, I did just found this out today. I was so bummed because I'm not sure I'm going to get to make it, but he's in the cast for the show that's about to start this weekend. That's great. So you can only imagine this young man. He's got a lot going on. <laughs> Let's just say that. Yeah. So he came in and I forgot. He kind of was groaning a little bit, like put his head on a desk. And I think I'm, I, I just act like I'm cheerful, even if I'm not. Mm-hmm. And so I believe I said something to him. I'm not even sure he responded, but I didn't take it personally. I was so proud of myself. I just said, usually when someone greets you, you would say, hello, how are you? And like I, I sort of, but I wasn't, I wasn't, in fact, I was a little bit more mellow. I was sort of teasing him a little bit. Right. And then he actually did say, he said, hello, how are you? <laughs> and I just, I don't have to take that personally, but I also don't have to take it. That's right. Because he's going to be better off in his life if he doesn't have someone who challenges him to say, no, a common decent thing is not to be so inside you. And he's not like that. He's a great guy. I mean, I know he's a great guy. So I've had times where there are students I really like who might do something that in the past I would have really allowed to to color how I felt about them far too much. And now it's just kind of like, you're a good guy, sit up in your chair. And if I just said hello to you, you can say hello back and smile. And I think that we're all the better off when I can do that. But I say it with a smile and I say it assuming the best of him. I think that's great. And you know, there's, there's one other thing while while you were talking, I was thinking about expectation and I, I personally, I'm not a big fan of surprises. I don't like to be surprised. I like to be prepared. And I, I think I don't give students enough credit for maybe feeling the same way. And I would encourage anyone who's a new faculty member or a new faculty member at a school, maybe you've taught for a long time, but you've changed to a new university, it, to remember that students 
also some don't don't always like that surprise. They want to know what to expect. And I found that the students who I had a whole lot of trouble with when I first came to 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 the school that that gave me a hard time, they kind of moved on and the new class of students knew what to expect. They knew how challenging I was. They knew what my standards were and they knew what I would and would not take as a professor and they came in prepared. It wasn't a surprise to them. And the people who were not surprised had the ethic that they needed on average, for the most part, had had closer to the work ethic they needed to be successful in my class. And and that's 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 not the fault of a student uh, who doesn't know what your expectations are. You must you must voice your expectations. But also it's encouraging to know that it's basically the same thing you said that Tom Carmody, the, the mentor of mine, told you about giving it four years. Give it time for the atmosphere to for the air to get electric with what your expectations are so that students that are coming up will just come in knowing, oh, this is the type of professor this is. And I feel like you're you're it gets easier because of that. I am also a huge fan of rubrics. And if I titled this episode rubrics, by the way, I know from my number, my listener numbers that not very many people would listen to it, but I will tell you rubrics or other means of communicating your expectations for assignments in advance that begin with the end in mind. If you begin with the end in mind and you describe what excellence look like, you will be stunned at how many students rise to it. I have found that my teaching just gets harder and harder every year in the sense of my expectations rise every single year because I'm constantly going back to envisioning what would excellence look like. And then I love that our jobs afford us the opportunity to stay in contact with so many alumni so you're able to see the long arc of what value looks like to them and then have that calibrate your teaching. But what I find I'm getting less doing a little bit less of every year is taking things personally or losing context, kind of like Jenny, your wife was telling you right. about, about that. In fact, I, there was a, I think it was oh, two years ago, I had to have a little minor surgery and it was something I was really worried about the surgery. And I had made all these plans to do it in the summer and then I wasn't able to do it in the summer. And it's just a bummer. So I'm trying to, actually my in-laws flew out from Chicago to take care of the kids. And I mean, it was just this whole thing. And I, was I so I taught it was a Monday, Wednesday, Friday, but I think it was a Wednesday, Friday in person and a Monday online. So I had this Friday thing, but that was the best time to schedule the surgery to do it on a Thursday. So I'd have a longer weekend to recover. So I'm going, oh, the subject was corporate social responsibility. And I was going to try to get my friend who works for Visa in corporate social responsibility and have him Skype in. But then I was like, oh, if my TA's there, but oh, with the Skype doesn't work. And I'm almost my TA sat down and said, I'd like to take you back in time. I'd like you to revisit your college days. What would it have been like for you when you were a freshman in college if you had a class canceled on (laughs) Friday in Southern California when the beach is what? How many miles away is the beach from Vanguard? About three miles. The beach is three miles away. Would you be disappointed or happy. <laughs> and that resolved that I, I, I gave myself permission to cancel one single class and take care of the surgery and get real. So I, I wonder if there's anything that you do in terms of calibrating or recalibrating your teaching where you intentionally go get back in touch with what is it like to be in something entirely new to you, just like it is for them to go to college, a whole new living experience, a whole new language, a whole new culture, all these people. Is there anything you try to do to stay sharp on that? 
That's that's a, a great question. As you were telling that story, I was I was remembering uh, my my wife is definitely my partner when it comes to to recalibrating myself <laughs> uh, because you know we don't always see we don't see how we're dealing with situations uh, uh, from an external viewpoint, right? So sometimes it's hard mm-hmm. for us to to really get a good reflection of how we're dealing with with the situations. And I've even had times that I've been crazy sick. And all I can think about is I've got to get to school because if I don't give this one lecture, we'll never meet my syllabus. And mm-hmm. so I'm so sick and I'm, I'm just, I shouldn't be at school. And my wife has said that same thing to me. Do, do you not remember what it was like to be a student and have a class canceled? <laughs> I mean, it's, is it the end of the world or is it something that maybe you could recalibrate your syllabus and fit it in a way where you're still giving them what they need to know, but in a little bit different format so that you don't infect them all with your disease? Mm-hmm. And it's you're, you're exactly right in saying that and, and getting into the students' viewpoints. You know, when I uh, a couple years ago, our campus is beautiful. We have perfect weather all the time. We're in Southern California. And I teach a lot of classes that require... Uh, Utter darkness and computers <laughs> with no windows, right? Seasonal affect. Right, disorder. right. So we're basically in a cave because I teach a lot of editing and, and film editing and things such as that. And I remember students, they were joking with me once. They're like, can we have class outside? And so I thought about that. And I thought, you know what? There's also theory to what I'm teaching. Mm-hmm. So why don't I make a full day of theory instead of switching theory in for just a few minutes each day? And do that. So then I came into class and I said, all right, grab everything, took us all around the tree, the big old tree in the quad outside. And we had a class and we discussed editing theory and we talked about editing history and we talked about it in a, in a really, really great environment in a place where we could get refreshed as editors with fresh air so that when we came back to the next class, we all had had that experience. And I felt that, um, I was so glad that I actually listened because sometimes sometimes I forget to listen to even the comments that students make and you think that they're joking. There's a lot of times a truth in that. You know, maybe I'm getting burnt out because all I'm doing is staying in the stifling room a whole lot. Maybe I need a little bit of air. And so and so having that, I think I had a whole conversation with you today about presence and being there. And when you're listening, uh, maybe you'll pick up on those subtle hints. You know, you hear that all jokes have a little bit of truth. I think that's something that that you should definitely listen for, that I should definitely listen for. I read a book recently called Essentialism, and either Dave or I have recommended it on the show before. It's really good. It's kind of just about, one of the big themes is about being better about saying no and setting boundaries. And the author, Greg McEwen, was recently on a podcast I love to listen to called Michael Hyatt's um, This Is Your Life. And I'll post a link in the show notes to this episode. But one of the things that really stood out to me was the idea of, and in his context, he was talking about setting boundaries to say no better. So you say, hey, could you be on this committee? This would be a tip for you. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Not that you're on 400 committees, right. 401. But so he said, instead of saying yes or no right then, that you could say, I need to think about it. And I need to look at it in context of everything else that's going on. Thank you so much for asking me. Mm. And again, he said it in context of getting better about saying no and setting boundaries. But I think that it probably would help us a lot to do this with students too. So we, a student, if, it, if we're starting to feel the anger rising or are starting to feel ourselves taking something personally, then to step aside. And I'll say, <laughs> I didn't do this always well. And I was in the middle of a very heated conversation in my office once with a student who had cheated. Mm. And 
he was pulling out all the stops. I mean, he, he knew, right. <laughs> he knew he was playing the game caught. and it was working. It, it was what he was doing was working. Cause I was starting to get a little hot under the collar. And I'll remember that finally at one point I stopped myself cause I'm going, what are you, what are you doing? We think about an argument where they say something and then you top it and then they top what you mm-hmm. just said. I mean, we do it in our relationships with other people that are on equal footing as us but it's especially inappropriate when we do it on people where there's a power imbalance because as right. the person with more much more of the power in the relationship as a professor we should be able to hold ourselves above that and not start to do that it's just not good modeling but i was i was i was doing it. if you filmed me i would not have been proud if I, <laughs> <laughs> or if you had overheard it through the ceiling cuz i didn't mention this in this episode but Aaron Daniel and i were across each other from our offices so at any rate i remember finally just kind of catching hold of myself and saying I think we're both feeling a little bit upset about this and I don't think it's a good idea for us to continue with our conversation. So I'm going to put our conversation to a close and let's get together back back again next week. And let's talk a little bit more about this. And because he was just insisting that he hadn't cheated and it was so obvious that he had. My uh, friend had said that, this is the phrase I was supposed to repeat. The evidence does not support that. The evidence does not support that, but I had failed at that assignment. And so it was hysterical because as soon as I told him, I'd calm myself way down. I just said, I think we're both, I think we should revisit this next week. He finally went, oh, never mind. I did it. Right. That's good. <laughs> the thought of having to meet with me again was too much. <laughs> Let me ask you a question if it's okay about yeah. my a current struggle that I'm I'm just trying to figure out the, I'm I'm trying to calibrate this part and it's the it's the out of classroom calibration. Mm. And so it's 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 what level of technology I allow and what hours I allow myself to be working when it comes to direct contact with students. Students uh emailing me at midnight the night before an assignment knowing that mm-hmm. they're up late doing a film project and they're locked and they can't get any farther in the assignments due tomorrow and and can they have help? Or students tweeting me now. I have students that'll direct tweet me because oh, they know that'll pop up right away. And I encourage students, I don't allow students to 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 befriend me on Facebook because I consider Facebook personal, mm. which is one of the reasons I stay pretty active on Twitter because Twitter is more of a professional uh, outlet for them to follow me and for us to communicate. So now I have students direct messaging me on Twitter knowing that'll pop up on my phone. And then every once in a while, if I have an extreme situation, I'll give a student my cell phone if we're if we're going to a, a trip together. And now I have students that the few, the very few that have that number texting me academic questions. I do not return texts mm-hmm. for academic questions, but I still feel that I'm trying to calibrate when to shut off contact contact about assignments that are coming that are that are coming soon when students are emailing me and it's outside of office hours what's your policy what what how do you calibrate that so for my policy i i i'm not always perfect at this but my ideal would be and i'm probably at this 80 percent of the time if it's a major assignment two days before it's due okay but i tell them why because this was designed to be something and i'm in fact, I'm having, I'm getting better about having them turn in little tiny bits of it along the way and kind of mm-hmm. breaking it up. So any questions that they have those last couple of days should be wrapping things up kinds of questions, right. not anything foundational. Sure. So I tell them I want the emails by, by then I can't, we have different bedtimes, different wake up, different schedules. And right. I want to make sure that I get back to you with the information you need. And I'm not going to be able to do that if we don't have that kind of time. And I also want to make sure that you're 
really putting the final touches, not worried about getting essential information. I will also tell you that I did that recently, about two weeks ago, and somebody emailed me after the time, and I still emailed them back, and I feel like a failure. (laughs) So so I'm not perfect at it. The cell phone, I'm so glad to hear you say that you don't do it. I don't do it. And I would first, I, I have a different philosophy about Facebook, so I have had students who face Facebook friend. Sure. And mostly the only times I ever get emails are things like requesting a reference. I actually haven't had students ask me something class related, but even then I'll just send a little friendly note back that says, I got your question. I want to make sure I attend to it. Could you send it to my Vanguard email just so I make sure that I I do a good job for you on this. Or I, I try to right. always turn it to how it's a benefit to them. And for anyone listening that if you want to automate this, because I always think this is the kind of stuff that comes up all the time. Right. I use a program called Text Expander, which is on the Mac, but on the PC, it's called Brevy, B-R-E-E-V-Y. I'll put a link to those in the show notes, but I can have it automatically do that with just a couple of keystrokes, type in that whole message. Oh, that's great. I don't have to retype it every time. But Oh, I really want to make sure I do a good job with this. Please send it to my Vanguard so I make sure it doesn't fall through the cracks. Boom. I know I need to learn to not take that personal because I physically get, because I'm so used from the television industry to being ready for deadlines. And so deadlines are such a big deal to me still in my soul, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I physically get ill when I have a student email me the night before an assignment's due and say, everything's done. I'm exporting the assignment, but my software has crashed and I have no idea how to recover. What can I do? And I'm constantly on the fence. Do I stay up till three in the morning troubleshooting through messaging to this person on how they can fix that? Or should I say, well, you should have finished this in time to do a test export and therefore have your assignment prepared in time. I have another idea, which requires another question though. What time do you typically have things due? Uh, I usually have things due uh, at the beginning of class, at the beginning of my class section, whatever my class section is. I wonder if it might be better to have things like that due by 5 p.m. Interesting. Possibly, just the end of the business day. Because then I can't imagine there's probably going to be too many... 2 a.m. I see what you're saying. You're, you are right. A lot of my, a lot of my big assignments, I, I'm, you're actually, I'm remembering that a lot of my big assignments, I give them till midnight instead of the beginning of class. And yeah. that's, that's, I'm sure that's a reason why is because they're frantically, yeah. 5 p.m. is a good kind of end of business mm-hmm. day, middle of the day where maybe those things will be happening in the daytime for those people that procrastinate. I find it happens a lot less. That's if smart. I have 5 p.m. due, due times. So. I love that idea. I love yeah. that I'm learning on the show at, while being a guest on the show of what to do. That's perfect. I appreciate it. Because if we have midnight, we know what's going to happen. But if your class starts at nine the next morning, we need to remember what will happen. And that is staying up all night That's to get true. it done for that nine they're not typically going to stay up all night if it's a 5 p.m. in my experience. That's a very good point. I've never used that time. That's a great idea. The other thing I find sometimes is there's the excuses that will be, oh, I, uh, one example would be I emailed it to you, but it must have not gone through. Oh, right, right. So I will say, great. Well, why don't you just bring your computer with you, the one that you used, and just don't open the file because I'm going to be able to see the the information that's embedded in that file when it was created, when it was last edited. And that usually you can see the expression sure. in their face go from sheer panic to, right. oh my gosh, I can't do this to this woman. I can do it with my other professors, but I can't do it with her to, oh sure, I actually have it with me right now. There was a gal who had just uploaded the wrong file. And I, I hate to say this, if you tell me as a student you uploaded the wrong file, 
I've had it so many times that that's just a dishonest way. This right. student really had uploaded the wrong file. And it was so sweet because she was so afraid to tell me. And she thought, I mean, she's, is there anything I could do? She's just really trying to build up her points for this class. It's not going well for her. And I was like, this happens to all of us. That's we right. all have attached the wrong thing to an email. As long as you have a file on your computer that we could look at together that shows that it was not been edited at all since the due date. That's just an honest mistake. There's not going to be any problem. You just have to give me a few more extra days to grade it because I'm going to have to like build that into my schedule. But no problem. She was so happy. So, and th but that unfortunately, there are many times where they just don't have the sure. evidence to back up. Sure. This is the time in the show where we make recommendations, and I'm going to give my recommendation all to you because I was so excited when you told me about this earlier. What is the new? I said, or maybe it's not new. You know, newly I, discovered. It's newly discovered to me. I'm a I'm an Amazon fan, and therefore I have the Amazon Prime membership that I always keep because it's worth it. Yes, us us too. And so this trick is only for those with Amazon Prime, and it's not even a trick. I wrote down. Let me look here. I wrote down the name. Uh, it's called Kindle First, and it's a newsletter for people that have Kindle. I don't have a Kindle, but I have an iPad and I have the Kindle app. So if you have the Kindle app or if you have Kindle, if you subscribe to the Kindle First newsletter and you're an Amazon Prime member, you can find it online. Maybe you can put the link up. Oh, absolutely. Well, and, uh, and every month you'll get their editor's pick. They'll show you four Kindle books that the editors like, and you can choose one of those books to download for free every month just for subscribing to the newsletter. It's fabulous. And of course, we know that there'll be other books that look good to us when we read them. But <laughs> That's right. They know that too, right? <laughs> it sounds like a great deal. And I think Amazon Prime is great. I was telling you how much I love the new Amazon Kindle. It's a voyage that Dave got me because right. all it does is I read books. So I don't get distracted by the social media and all of that. And you were saying you have the first. I have the original Nook. Barnes and Noble Nook. That was $250 for the most simple reader that you can possibly imagine at the time. But it's just wonderful. I, I love it because it's, it is. It's distraction free and it's there for one purpose and one purpose only and the battery lasts forever. Thank you so much for being on yet another episode. And I hope we can do this again in the future. If people want to get in touch with you on Twitter and start following your work, what could they do? They can find me at, at supermanus. That's superman, N-A-S. <laughs> So I was ready for there to be something else at the end there. There we go. I will put a link in the show notes to oh, Aaron Daniel's Twitter account. And it's just been so great having these conversations with you. Thank for, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. If you want to comment on today's show with Aaron Daniel and I, you can go to teachinginhighered.com slash 45. This is the 45th episode. And we would also love just feedback that you have on the show in general. That's at teachinginhighered.com slash feedback. And if you have not yet subscribed to the weekly email that gets you the show notes with all the links that Aaron Daniel and I talked about automatically coming into your inbox as long as well as an article about teaching or productivity, one email a week. I'm not going to bombard you, but you don't have to then remember to go grab all these links. And that's at teachinginhighered.com slash subscribe. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.